Last time on Life Talks, we began a new series looking at things that we do in church that we don't really know why we do them, don't really make sense. Uh, yeah. Where did they come from? Yeah. yeah. And, and why so, do we do it? Why I do think, we do it? So yeah. we started looking at baptism. And in the last episode, we talked about the history of baptism. We kind of looked at some Old Testament references mm-hmm. uh, and where baptism may have begun, took it to the New Testament. So today we're going to look at the history of it more and then bring it into today. Why yes. are we doing baptism yes. the way we're doing it? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it, it's funny because when we... It had, I wrote all these notes out, and it was like I I thought, oh, these this will get us through twenty minutes, and it <laughs> I got yeah, through a third of my notes, <laughs> and I'm like, man, I just didn't know I was going to talk this long about it. So I mean, it was a little bit of a history lesson, and there's going to be a little bit more history because I think it's important for people to understand. Yeah, where did these things come from? Absolutely, and I, and I think that one of the things that I want Christians to believe is and to understand is there are a lot of things that they may do or they may feel is normal or good in their expression of their faith that is more tied to their uh to their experience to their to just tradition to history um maybe a reaction to something but it's not really based on I'm doing this because it says this in the bible yeah yeah or how often are you told in a church you need to be baptized okay well then let me let me do it. Yeah. You know, I don't want to mess up. Yeah. 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 And so so there's so many things that we've got to take a step back from and just say, okay, where did this where did this come from? How did these things evolve? And one of the things that has been true of the church for 2000 years has there's always been these movements to go back to the Bible, mm. to get back to let's in the medieval times they would call it let's get back to primitive Christianity. Even before the reformation, there were there were uh, m- different movements within the Catholic Church to get it back to biblical Christianity. They they would pop up for a little bit and then they would phase out. But the point is, there's always the the Spirit of God is always going to draw His Church back to Him, and I think that's the great guarantee that we have in all these things. Isn't and it so, interesting that we keep having to go back to the Bible? Yeah, though, because we do all of this messing stuff. <laughs> it up. We keep messing <laughs> From it up, man. From the beginning until I know, now. <laughs> I know. Um, I know we're far into this episode, but I'm Life Talks producer Britt Never sitting in with Pastor yes. Ben Rudolph. So I'm looking forward to to more of this conversation on yes. baptism. Yeah. So we left off right right before I began to talk about uh, Augustine. And mm-hmm. Augustine was the great, I think I mentioned him before, but he was the very first, I think, prominent there are many theologians, but he was one of the most prominent ones that shaped uh, a large portion of the church history, especially the medieval Christianity. But he uh, he's probably most known for a lot of his doctrines on soteriology, about you know election, predestination. One of the things that he was uh, doing in those days was, was writing against another bishop called Pelagius. And maybe you've heard of Pelagianism or semi-Pelagianism. But but Pelagius was this theologian in the early church that believed that mankind was born with a blank slate, and and therefore it's it's when we sin then we become corrupted. But but we are we don't have this thing called total depravity or or, or original sin, and that's where Augustine taught this that no we're born with a depraved nature, mm-hmm. and the term original sin really was something he was a, a huge proponent of, and. When he was, he was a he became a proponent of of infant baptism because of this idea of original sin. He believed that when you baptized your infants, and again, this was a practice that kind of evolved and morphed over time. You had all the external forces of children dying when they're young. Um, you had uh, the 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 citizenship issue of of Constantine and just wanting masses of people to come to know Jesus, and so you just you know sprinkle them. And then, 
And then so so Augustine comes along and really solidifies infant baptism as the norm and as a requirement, as, as a process of someone becoming a believer. And so what Augustine taught was that at baptism, just like it parallels circumcision, um, you are, in, in his terms, infusing faith into that child. Mm. And that's the first act of faith. And so the Roman Catholic Church, what we have now, they have the seven sacraments. The, and the whole idea of a sacrament is that these are things that impart grace to you. And so whereas as a Protestant or as an evangelical believer, we would believe that grace is a gift freely given. We don't earn grace. We don't do things for grace. Grace is given to us by—it's a gift, as it says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And so the, what the church did is they developed a system of, here's how you know you have grace. You do these things. And so baptism is one of the seven sacraments that the Catholic Church developed that required, if you wanted to make it to heaven someday, you had to be baptized as an infant. Hmm. And so it became uh, almost like dogma at that point. And even though it was a it was a practice that was that was developed over time, it's very interesting when you see these things become, you know, entrenched. And then it just becomes it perpetuates itself th- for the next thousand years in church history. And for the and this is where it gets really interesting because when you think about how the church really went through some ups and downs, they started tying through Constantine. They tied the citizenship of a of a population group, their kingdom, to their baptism. And so all of a sudden, if you wanted to be baptized, it wasn't just about your faith. It wasn't about infusing faith or salvation. It was also about your citizenship. And so a parent who refused to get their child baptized, I mean, they would they would threaten them with death. Like wow. it was that it was wow. that big of a deal because it wasn't just a this baptism became not just a religious act, it became a political act of you are now a citizen of this kingdom because we are a Christian kingdom, right? Mm. Even though m- there wasn't a lot of Christianity going yeah. on you know, <laughs> the, the, because of the Catholic Church and all of the corruption and all of the the, the baggage of, of adding works and the Mass and the Eucharist, we're going to get into that later, but the whole idea... Our understanding of freedom of religion, hey, you get a chance to choose whether or not you baptize your kids, mm-hmm. or actually it's your kid's decision. Yeah, as, as yeah. A, it needs to be. Yeah. As an evangelical believer, we don't, we don't give, we give our kids a choice, or like you decide when you want to be baptized. And so knowing that, that, that was so, that was not even, that was not heard of back in those days. You did not have a choice of whether or not to believe or not believe. If you didn't believe, you were you were uh, a heretic, and they would burn you. Mm. And so there was no freedom of religion. There was no freedom of conscience. There was no. Everyone had to believe because in order to be a citizen of your king, or or you know you have to do this. And so it just took away. It just lost all of its spiritual meaning. Meaningness. Yeah. Well, as we've seen in history, you know, belief forced upon people it never lasts. You never know? lasts. It, just, it doesn't work. And so what happens is. Um, Obviously, with a great light that happens is the Reformation, and there's some some preliminary Reformation, some pre-Reformation stuff with with John Huss and John Wycliffe, but really Martin Luther, John Calvin, mm-hmm. Ulrich Zwingli, those are the guys. The 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 main reformers were the guys who said we got to get back to the Bible. We got to 
you know, really come back to what, if the Bible says this, then we're going to do it. Now, they did that really well with soteriology. When I say soteriology, they did that really well with the doctrines of salvation. And I'm not sure how many of you, if you're listening to this, there's five solas that they developed, sola scriptura, so, which is in the scripture alone, mm-hmm. uh, sola fide, which is faith alone, sola gratis, which is uh, gratia, which is faith, uh, grace alone, sola Christus, which is Christ alone, and then sola deo gloria, which is the glor- to gl- God's glory alone. And so these were these hallmark beliefs that they're getting back to the doctrines of grace and faith uh, that the Bible teaches, mm-hmm. which was awesome. But they didn't really go as far as you would want them to. Yeah. Most of them were not willing to to apply the same uh, hermeneutic to baptism as they did to salvation. And part of it was because in the cultural norm, they still tied baptism to the the citizenship of of that king or that prince. And so they didn't the reformers knew they could only go so far. They didn't want to lose the support of the governing authorities that allowed them to rebel against the Catholic Church. And so there was only a few reformers or reform groups. One of them was the Anabaptists uh, that really said, hey, when I read scripture, I read someone getting baptized after their conversion, credo-baptism. We talked about that last Mm -hmm. episode. And so they began saying, no, if you're going to say the Bible's our absolute authority, apply it not just to your soteriology, but apply it to your ecclesiology as well. And that's where the ref- a lot of the reformers did not apply the, hey, the authority of God's word across the board. And so you see different groups that started to rebaptize, and that's what Anabaptists are called. They're called rebaptizers. Hmm. That's the name they gave them. And they came under heavy persecution. I mean, heavy persecution. This is something that I studied with my boys. I took them on some Reformation trips, and my one son, Jaden, we took them. I took him down to uh, Switzerland and showed them where the very first uh, adult baptism had taken place in Switzerland in I don't know how many centuries, and because they have these places marked out, and now they sprinkled them because they didn't know how, to, yeah. how else to do it. But over time, they realized, no, if we're going to follow the Bible, we're going to follow the Bible's you know the model of it, and so they started rebaptizing people. And this led to persecution. It led to a lot of them um, drowning people who had been baptized again. Wow. It was a it was a capital offense to actually get baptized again, or it was a capital offense for, to not baptize your children. They would take your ch- children away and throw you in prison. This was a massive thing for the early Reformation, for the, for the Anabaptists, for the Mennonites, for um, the, the people that were saying, we want to go farther than what you're willing to go, and they paid for it with an with a great price. One of the th- one of the punishments was drowning. They would drown them to say, "Okay, you want to be baptized? We'll we'll baptize you." Oh, and they that's would unbelievable. they would tie rocks to their feet or to their bodies and just let them mm. sink and kill them. And so, the, the, when you think about that, you think about the freedom we have to baptize the way we do. It was bought with blood by a lot of people that went before us, and I think we need to understand that. Yeah, and it seems like such a simple act 
that you know they are following what the Bible yes. says, but they're going against the yes. government at that point. Yes, it almost felt like they were trying to make that <clears throat> infant baptism uh, to identify, uh, kind of like circumcision was. Yes, and he'll t- like yeah. you're, you're you're part of the totally yeah you're part of the you're part of the group and, and it was an, and so it took a lot of time. One of the things that was uh, to it took a lot of time for it to become the norm. So you had the initial Anabaptist movement that that faded out because some of them didn't have the I don't want to get into that that all all those details but then you saw the Baptist movement of the 17th century and the 18th century and one of the things that you could put the reformers in is you could put the reformers in two groups one were the Protestants and one were the separatists so the Protestants were that they were protesting the Church of Rome but they still held a lot of the high church uh issues like you know, sprinkling, baptism, confirmation. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't go, like I said, they, they didn't apply their hermeneutic to, from salvation to ecle- their ecclesiology of how to do church. And so one of the things that you see, the separatists were like, no, we got to throw the whole system out and we want to start fresh just with the Bible. If we just start with the Bible, what kind of church would we have? That's what the separatists did. And so there was English separatists that went to Netherlands to have the freedom of religion, and then they eventually were influenced by people like Menno Simons, uh, and that's the group where the Mennonites come from, from Menno Simons, and he taught them, you know, these these the separatists about getting baptized, credo baptism, and that's why they were called Baptists. So they came over to the United States, and they started practicing, and even in the United States, it was they were persecuted. They had to start Rhode Island; it was the first Baptist colony. But over time, eventually, as the Great Awakening happened in our nation and the Second Great Awakening, what you happen, what you see is more and more people, and you, then you have the printing press, and then people can read the Bible for themselves, and just you can see over time that people started saying, we're not doing it the way that tradition happened. Like, we're, when I read the Bible, this is what I see. Mm. And so then you start seeing that the practice of credo-baptism becoming much more prominent in the evangelical world. And so that's that's kind of the history of how we got to where we're at I today. think it's awesome that once people have the knowledge in their hands, they yes. get the power back as yes, well. Yes, absolutely. And, and that way you can say, okay, well, if you don't believe in sprinkling, well, just show it to me in the Bible. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's why they always have to go back to well, it, it's a it's the same covenant as circumcision, and you know they did it when they're children, and Cornelius and his household. When I'm like, okay, that's the weakest <laughs> argument because number one, the the nation of Israel was a was a physical kingdom, and we're talking about a spiritual kingdom, yeah, right. And so so with a few minutes left, I want to explain to you just just briefly why we practice credo baptism by immersion here at Life Fellowship because I believe. Um, it's the biblical way. Uh, I, I don't listen. If you were sprinkled as, a, if you're listening to this and you're sprinkled as a child, like I'm not. I don't think anything. I don't think anything less of you. It's not like you had a choice, anyways. Of course, yeah. Uh, and a lot of people, it's meaningful to them. It's a, it's a, it's a tradition. I had people that I used to disciple that were um, uh, saved out of the Catholic background, and. Two of them, I remember one young couple came to me like, hey, my parents are like freaked out that we're not baptizing our children. You know, <clears throat> they're like, do you mind, Do you would you mind if we did that? Just, just to kind of like as a child dedication to appease my grandparents. And I said, listen, I said, you have to, that's a decision. I can't tell you what to do. I said, I wouldn't do it because I feel like you need to make a stand in the difference of your authority. Yeah. But I said, 
I also understand what you're trying to do and you're trying not to burn any bridges and you want your parents to feel like you're a good Christian parent. And so I said, I'm telling you what I would do, but I'll give you the freedom of conscience to do, to mm-hmm. do, to just understand they think it gives salvation Yeah, and you don't want them to understand. You don't want them to think that you're doing that. So now at Life Fellowship, though, if somebody's listening and don't, don't attend, we do dedicate children in the manner of we come, we bring families on stage and just yes. say, "Hey, church, pray over these children, yes, pray yes, over their salvation." Yes. So we we don't ignore kids, and we don't, right. we, you know, there is that we, moment we, that we, we have. believe there's bi- even biblical precedent of child dedication. We see that of children being dedicated to the Lord throughout Scripture, um, and, and so you know Samuel, uh, Samson. There's people that were born and that were dedicated to the. Even Jesus was dedicated in, 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 in a way. But as you said, it there's no salvation. There's no nothing. No involved salvation. With this that. is more about the parents than it is the yeah. child. And so, so when it comes to credo baptism, a couple things. The reason why we do that is number one, it's the pattern of scripture. You can't find anyone who was publicly baptized that did not make that decision prior to their decision to follow Jesus. Mm. That's number one. Over and over and over again. Number two, it's what the word means. We have transliterated the word baptism, okay? Because the Greek word is baptizo. And when it got time to translate the the, the Greek into English, it got to word baptism. Well, the word baptism means to immerse. It, it means, and so the reason why we know that is in, it's the, in extra biblical language, literature in the first centuries uh, of 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 the Roman culture, there was two times where the word baptizo was used where they found it outside of the Bible. The first is when there was a Roman ship battle, uh, and it says that one boat baptized the other boat. <laughs> now, it doesn't mean they took their oars and splashed them, <laughs> okay? What they meant is they sunk they the sunk boat. Them. They put them underwater. Okay, they put them underwater. Yeah. The other the other extra-biblical resource that we have is that when they, they found a pickle recipe, and they said, when you have your cucumbers, you baptize your cucumbers in the pickling brine. And the wow. whole idea is like, so we know that the yeah. word meant to immerse, okay? So knowing that, when the English translators got to the word baptizo, knowing that that word, they couldn't say immerse, uh, they just transliterated the word so that you could interpret the word however you want it. Because the word baptism meant sprinkling yeah. in the church at that time. And so that's why I, it's what the word means. It's it's If you were to translate the word baptizo in Greek, it means to immerse underwater. And I love seeing those extra biblical materials that just yeah, it, reaffirm it, yeah. what the actual meaning of the word is. Yeah, was. so go back to what the word means. It means to immerse. Um, and then to me, I think also it's the best explanation of the gospel. If we're going to identify with Christ, when someone's going to publicly identify with Christ, what they're doing is they're saying, I believe that Jesus died and rose again, and I'm identifying Mm -hmm. with that death and that resurrection. And so it is that moment where you are obeying Jesus to say, hey, I want to identify as a follower of Jesus. I have died to my sins. I've died to my old self. And because of Christ's death, and now I'm going to walk in the newness of life because I am a new creation in Christ. Now, let me just say this. I don't believe that if you're, I don't believe that, that baptism saves you. All right, let me just say that up front. I do not believe that baptism saves you. I don't think that, you know, if someone accepts Christ and they don't get baptized, um, that they're going to hell. But I do believe this. If you are truly a believer, I believe you will get baptized. Yeah. Because... Baptism is the first commandment that Jesus gives. You know, it's like, okay, if you accept me, then 
make disciples and baptize them. It just follows the progression. And so uh, I, I think it's really important that people do get baptized and it's a public profession. And, you know, if it takes time for you to get there, I totally get that because of your background, because I'm, I want to understand. Uh, you might want to even know more about what you're really doing. I totally get that. But if you have been saved for years and you're like, eh, I'm going to hold off, there's something about that, or you you don't want to do it publicly. I'll do it privately with you, Pastor, but I don't want to do it publicly. No, 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 no. Yeah. That's not it. And so I think I think baptism is one of the ways that we, one of the primary ways, if not the primary way, we show people I'm a follower of Jesus. Mm. So Let me ask, uh, we're almost out of time. Let me ask one final question. I yeah. know people, when we actually see the act of baptism, we hear most pastors, hopefully yeah. they're all doing it, but baptize you in the name of the Father, Father the Son, Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Where yeah. does that come from? What is that It's from the Great Commission. So when he says baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, a lot of times that we just say that. Now, some people are... They're tri-immersers, so they'll dunk three times, or they'll pull pour three times. But you know, th- that's a that's just a, the statement we use because Jesus gave that statement to us. Yeah, We're baptizing perfect. you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so, yeah, I think that that's the that that's re- really wise. We have that wording. We try to make in, and raised to walk in newness of life, which again is a which is, is a biblical statement as well. So we try to use wording that is. But again, it's not about. It's not about the magical words that you say that mm-hmm. make you baptize. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have to say anything like, I'm going to baptize you now and dunk you and bring you up. And it's it's like, it's still a baptism. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I think, we, I think there's kind of a formality or something that we do that makes people feel like this is significant. Yeah. And we want. And I that. asked that just because in case somebody's listening, I didn't want them to, because you hear it and it could be someone new to church or something yeah. and, and it could feel more ceremonial versus yeah. actually having scriptural yes. reference to it. So, Well, I most people, to... 52% of church going evangelicals don't know what the Great Commission is. Mm-hmm. So there's a reason why we have to keep saying it. And the reason why, and here's my challenge to you if you're listening to this, and you've never been baptized after your commitment to Christ, then I would challenge you to rethink, look at the scriptures, and I would challenge you to say, to do that, because I believe that is that's the biblical model, and that's the biblical way, and that's what Jesus expects of yeah. us. And it is a very significant outward expression of yes. your of your inward choice. And yes. so, as you said earlier, if you're struggling with that outward expression, yeah. you need to reexamine the yeah. inward choice because that's there may right. be something broken there. That's right. Um, 100%. Just to put it bluntly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I've enjoyed these two conversations. Yeah. I've loved listening to the history of baptism, where it came yeah. from, and, and how we got to where we are. So we'll do some more episodes and continue the series on some other things. I think the Lord's, Lord's Supper Supper's may, be, next. may be coming up. So yeah. uh, why do we do that one? I don't know. <laughs> but you'll have to tune in next time to listen. So uh, once again, thank you for joining on this episode of Life Talks. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Life Talks. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new episode. Share this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to let your friends and family know about Life Talks. We'd love to hear from you as well, so leave a comment and let us know your thoughts on this episode or any other topics we've discussed. Life Talks is a ministry of Life Fellowship in Cornelius, North Carolina. For more information on Life Talks or Life Fellowship, visit lifecharlotte.com or you can find us on Facebook at Life Fellowship Charlotte.